and teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Hey, good morning. How are y'all doing? Caffeinated. It's, uh, it is an odd time in Houston, and I told <clears throat> Steve, you know, kicking off on post-Harvey, talking about leadership, um, I've seen a lot of leadership in our city. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of men and a lot of women, a lot of students going out and serving the people in need without being asked spontaneously. I've seen organizations mobilize and come in. I've seen our church try to realign to the real needs of real people. And, and in all of it, I see leadership in that. And the next 11 weeks, sort of what we want to do is to unpack this idea of leadership for life, that, that we sort of have three things in mind when we say leadership for life. The first thing is that, that, that God has created us as men to be leaders for the benefit of life and for others, not just for ourselves. That leadership for life is also about the duration that, that we are to be leaders in every stage of life that we're in. So if you're a single man, you're meant to be a leader as a single man. If you're married, you're meant to be a leader as a married man. If you've got kids, you're meant to be a leader in your home. Wherever you are, you are meant to be a leader. And then the third thing is that literally there's not a facet of life that God does not desire godly leadership in in the arts, in the sciences, in economics, in education. There is not an area that if godly leadership doesn't get rising up there, corruption will happen. All that we need for evil to prosper is for what? And another way of saying that is for good men not to lead. And so over the next semester, this semester, we've got business leaders coming in. We've reached out to some political leaders to come in. We've reached out to ministry leaders to come in. Some people are people that are at the top, and some people are in the middle. Leadership is not a title. Leadership is an orientation of our heart. It's a stewardship that God has given us, and it's really not optional. We are leaders. The question is, where are we headed? Who's following? Under whose glory is it? And so I'm kicking us off, and i thinking through that, and God put the character of Gideon, put the character of Gideon on my heart. I relate a lot to him. I grew up, I am the youngest in my family, I was the youngest in the neighborhood of the families that got together and played and did Little League and all that stuff, I was the youngest. So some people say that means you're spoiled, what that means for me is that everything I did, I could be quite abused and misdirected for the entertainment of all of the older people. So that meant I was really gullible and trusting and got that broken regularly. And, and for little kids, a game called uh, Follow the Leader. Everybody played that before? Follow the Leader. Pretty exciting game, pretty innocent game. But you take, you know, older brother and some of his older friends, and I'm five years old, and we're playing Follow the Leader, and they say, hey, everybody, let's get our guns. And in Tennessee, at age five, your gun is like a Red Ryder BB gun. You know, some of them had pellet rifles. But we run off into the woods, and we're playing Follow the Leader, so we see something like a can, we'd shoot that, we'd shoot a bottle, we worked our way through the woods. Now, I don't know to this day if they set this up or not, but we punch out through the woods, and there's a school, Woodmore Elementary. My grandmother had been teacher of the year the year before that, 
She had taught there for years, and they have a baseball field right there coming out of the woods. And baseball fields also have lights, and those lights are relatively large. And so follow the leader. Follow the leader as it may be as they're all the guys. Okay, now we're going to shoot the lights out. So my brother goes first, and he shoots, and he misses. I was like, wow, that's not a good shot. And then Alan goes, and he shoots and misses. Morty goes, he shoots and misses. Jeff goes, he shoots and misses. And it's my turn, and I am going to show them all the right way to do this. So I take aim on that light, and I shoot it. And just as I'm squeezing the trigger, I notice coming out of the woods is Mr. Olson and his twin Cocker Spaniels that he walked every day. So he's on our street, knows our family, and he's walking out at the same time I'm squeezing the trigger. And I do hit the light because all of those guys had already agreed to purposely miss the light. So I shoot the light, and that light bulb comes down. Mr. Olson sees me. He makes a beeline over there, gets all of us, but I'm the one in particular, and I get marched following that leader to the doorstep of my parents' house and knocks on the door and you know, $35 later, a letter to the mayor writing an apology letter and the removal of my gun for about 18 months. I was grateful I was alive. My fear was my dad would kill me. He didn't. He extracted economic justice and punitive measures, but it wasn't destruction. But this idea of follow the leader, you know, even early on, as misused as that was, when I began to think about leadership, it, it really is the Christian life, whether we know it or not. Paul said this in, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He says, imitate me, and we could insert follow me, as I imitate Christ, as I follow Christ. So every leader that's going to follow Christ, he's also God's asking us to have someone else come along with us, right? I mean, isn't that what discipleship is? We introduce someone to Christ, they follow with us, and after a while, they're walking just with Christ, and they're bringing someone else with them. That's like the big picture of the Christian life is a follow-the-leader moment. But I want to I look in Judges chapter 6, and books have been written on Gideon, and we could do the whole semester on Gideon alone. And if you all would turn to Judges chapter 6, I want to look at the very beginning of this guy's life like the beginning of his leadership opportunity in the nation of Israel. And if you're a visual learner, I got permission from, from people in here that said, hey, don't stay up all night and do a PowerPoint. So you've got a listening guide on the table. When we think of Gideon, what are some of the stories that you remember about Gideon? He put out a fleece, right? That's probably what he's most known for to verify whether or not God had in fact called him to be a leader. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so he, he ushered thir, uh, 300 men with torches and clay pots surrounding an army and sort of used a psychological warfare disruption technique, but ultimately it was just obedience to God, and it yielded great victory on the battlefield for Israel against a, a staunch enemy that they had faced years before victoriously, but because of their sin, God had delivered them back to the Midianites. So one would think, man, here's this military leader, a leader of Israel, a judge, called of God. He must be this natural-born leader. And what I love about Gideon and what I, when I read about him or I read about Moses, I feel like, okay, I can relate to him. 
And so what I want us to do is we're going to look at the first 15 verses of Judges chapter 6, and we're going to see that, that ultimately I think there's a lot of lessons, especially in light of where we are right now from Gideon and into our own lives. It says verse 1 here of chapter 6, The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years. And they oppressed Israel because of Midian. The Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, the caves, the strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and whatever the termites came and attacked them, they encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land, even as far as Gaza. They left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, no ox, no donkeys. For the Midianites came with their cattle and their tents like a great swarm of locusts. They and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to waste it. So Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and the Israelites cried out to God. I mean, how would, how would we describe the condition of Israel? Just look at that paragraph. How would you describe Israel right now? Barren, weak, what's that? Desolate, broken, consumed. I mean, they're in, I mean, where are they? Where, where is Israel living? In caves. But the, the caves themselves are in a part of the world at that point that they knew as what? The promised land. It's a land flowing with, according to Scripture, milk and honey. And yet living in a land filled with milk and honey, they lived in caves. Living in a land of promise, they didn't get to enjoy any of the promise. Now we know why, right? Verse 1, what does it say? It was because they had sinned, right? Now where we are in our culture today, you have to guard your heart from assuming everything that happens bad in your life, and I do this a lot, and everything that's bad that happens in someone else's life is a direct product of their personal sin. Scripture says this here, but in the New Testament, we found a, t a tower falls over on a group of men and a debate breaks out among the disciples about who, who sinned, who's the worst man. I mean, certainly this group of people had sinned and Jesus is like, no, it's not that way. Or a man was born blind and they asked Jesus, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his father, that he's born this way, that he's blind? And Jesus said, neither. God's allowed it so that he may be glorified through the miracle of the healing that's getting ready to take place. And so I think as, as we look at just this first part, and we need to set the table for Gideon because this is where he came out of, we need to guard our heart from being like, uh, I remember Pat Robertson, and I'm not picking on him too much, but I am going to pick on him right now, that when Katrina hit, Pat Robertson said what? I don't know if you all remember this or not. What did he say? It was the judgment of God. Well, I've got, I've got brothers in Christ that live in New Orleans, and I've got brothers in Christ that live in Houston. So was it that there was 90, you know, 50.1% were like really, really depraved, evil, broken people, and 49.9% love Jesus, and God's got a scale, and he's up there weighing it, and it, well, okay, man, if he hadn't cussed, we wouldn't have done this thing, but it's on right now. We got we to gotta get these numbers pared back. 
And that's not the spirit of the Lord. That's not how the Lord has worked. And so I just, as we go through this, I want us to realize that, yes, Israel was under judgment because they had followed false gods. When bad things happen in our life, yes, the first thing I ask is, Lord, is there something in my life I need to be aware of and repent of? I do ask that. But I don't live there. I don't. Because Jesus said the rain will fall on the just and the unjust alike. Then in other words, life happens. When my wife and I had a miscarriage, was it because we weren't praying enough? Uh, was it because we didn't tithe enough? Was it because we hadn't read the Bible enough? It's like, no, God has loved us even in that. And so I don't know, you know, when you think of Israel, they were, and I wrote down three words that sort of hit for me. They were oppressed. They were impoverished, and they were afraid. You can't even harvest your crops. <laughs> so the land flows with milk and honey. You do the labor, and as soon as it's harvest time, you get kicked off to the side, and you don't get to taste it. You just get the remnants. And if you're working hard in a job, you may feel that's your job right now. That why does the guy at the top seem to get the good stuff, and I'm laboring and I don't. Or if you're at the top, you may wonder, why am I killing myself so much and the people beneath me don't even seem to care, and they're getting great benefit from this. I am too, but I'm carrying the weight of this. And we can feel that in lots and lots of different ways. And so as we get here, I want you to see that Israel cries out to the Lord and I love what God does. It says this, verse 7, When the Israelites cried out to him because of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to them. He said to them, This is what the Lord God of Israel says, I brought you out of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and the power of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am Yahweh your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land you live in, but you did not obey me. God's response to their cry was what? It was grace, and how did that get manifested? He sent a prophet, right? He sends a prophet, and not just a prophet. What else does he send? Look at verse 11. The angel of the Lord came. Some people say this is Jesus pre-incarnate coming. Some people say this was a special messenger angel. All angels were messengers, but this one maybe was a lot closer. I think I, I lean toward that this is, this is a pre-incarnation of Christ coming. But it says the angel of the Lord came and he sat underneath the, the oak that was in Ophrah, and that's not the talk show lady girl, uh, which belonged to Joash, the Abazarite, his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine vat in order to hide it from the Midianites. So God sends a prophet. The prophet addresses people and reminds them of what God had done, but God isn't done with that. He now needs a leader. He now needs a leader. And that leader is actually a response. And, and here it is, truth number one, truth number one, is that you are the leader God is raising up to answer someone else's cry. That you are the leader that God is raising up to answer someone else's cry. 
that it could be single men, it could be a lady right now who has cried out to God to say, Lord, I, I desire a godly spouse. I desire someone that will walk with me in life as a partner, a companion, but lead me well. It could be that someone's crying out, Lord, when will there be mercy? And right now, I said, I've seen a lot of leadership in our city as men and women going out from churches, nonprofits in their neighborhoods. They're going out and they are alleviating suffering to the best of their ability. And it's leadership. It's, it's this beautiful thing going on right now in Houston. And I, I wish it happened more. You know, why does it take a disaster? I, I don't have the answers for that. But it certainly has revealed some of the better parts of, of, of the church. It's revealed some of the better parts of the city is how people have given to one another. So Gideon is threshing wheat. And do you all know where wheat normally got threshed? Top of a hill. It's on the top of the hill so that the chaff can blow away and the wheat can remain. But where does he, where does he thresh it? in a wine vat. So if you haven't seen sort of a biblical wine vat, it's got like two chambers and it's in the ground. It's like stone in the ground carved in and they would trample the grapes in there. In other words, you're sort of not very visible when you're in it. And why do you think he was doing that? According to the verses here, he's hiding. Does that imply something? Is he afraid? Is he oppressed? <laughs> Is he impoverished? I mean, Israel was all of that. I think Gideon was all of that too. If you're going to lead in a group of people, you're going to live in the same conditions they live in and you're going to deal with the same emotions and the same concerns that they have at first. We're going to see that God gets Gideon up and out of that. But I don't think Gideon woke up that morning and said, hey, today I'm going to encounter the angel of the Lord. Today I'm going to become a leader. He was doing all he knew to do to the best of his ability faithfully. And then God comes. And I think truth number two is this, that the call to leadership comes out of nowhere when we are least expecting it or even feeling defeated. That the call of leadership often comes out of nowhere when we are least expecting it or even feeling defeated. I mean, think about this, you know, have you ever tried to steer a parked car? And before power steering, have you ever tried to park a car in a parking lot after it comes to a complete stop? And the first car I had was an old Mustang with no power steering. And if you came to a complete stop, cutting it in sharp into a parking spot, it was a labor of love. And when I got my first car with power steering and I like took two fingers and I whipped the wheel and I whip it back and I straighten up and I'm in and I'm out and it's like, that's amazing. That's awesome. God doesn't steer parked cars. And we can park our car in self-pity and we can park our car in why me and we can park our car in, well, if only or when this happens. We can park our car in a lot of things, but God is saying, do what you know to do today to the best of your ability. And you may feel like you've been like treading water for two years. Some of you have been out of work for a while, and you may feel like, God, when, 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 
I'd love to lead, but give me a chance. I'd love to lead, but when? And I don't have an answer for you. John Eldridge in the book, Walking with God, this summer we talked about God can answer your question why or He can give you Himself, but He rarely will do both. And we agreed this summer as we went through that book that we'd rather have God in a relationship with Him with our eyes and our hope cast upon Him than understanding every little nuance of our life of why things are the way they are. And I can't answer the why right now of Harvey. I can't answer the why of your marriage situation, a parenting situation, a job situation. But I know this, that, that you're there and you need to faithfully serve right now with all that you know where you're at and know that God, that is where He comes to you. When you're least expecting it, you're feeling most defeated, God will call you to lead. And so I want us to continue to go here, and that's verse 12. It says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Who finds that funny? Here's a guy hiding out, threshing wheat because of the opposition around him. There are other men in, in history of, of Israel. I think of in particular Jonathan climbed a mountain with his armor bearer and charged a group of Philistine soldiers. He didn't hide. <laughs> I think of David. Everybody's terrified. And David so fixed his eyes upon God, so willing to step out courageously, gets onto the battlefield. There are other men that have done it differently that we could have noted, but when you get to Gideon, I would think of anything other than mighty warrior, even though his name means one who destroys, destroyer. Conan the Barbarian, Gideon, their, their names meant the same thing. And yet, here's the guy not living up to that at all. And who do you think was most aware of that reality? Oh, yeah. I had a mentor one time, and he asked me, he said, if God were to look at you right now, what do you think he'd say? Oh, man. And I, I made it rosy. I, I, you know, I, I had my thoughts, and people said, well, what's been the hardest thing of marriage or parenting? And for me, it's, I'm a lot worse of a husband than I thought I would be. I thought I would be like Jesus with a marriage band on. Or so yeah, I thought I would be such a patient, loving, godly servant to my wife that I wouldn't be selfish, that I, that I would never be quick-tempered or sharp-tongued. What's the hardest thing about being a dad? It's like I didn't realize how bad I would feel that I was almost every day that the snap judgments I have to make, I've got four kids, two teenagers, one tweener, and, and then one in fourth grade, and, and, and I never please them all, I assure you. And those of you that have raised kids already, you know that. But somehow I felt like there'd be like unicorns in the backyard, and I'd wake up, there'd be rainbows over here, and you know, I would know what to do every step of the way because I was having a quiet time, and I'm praying, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm invested, and no. You can put a title on me if you want to. Uh, minister to men. I used to be minister to married young adults. 
You know, if God came to me and He called me awesome husband, awesome father, and I heard that, I would be like, I don't think you're God because if you knew my heart and you knew my mind and you knew my past, you would just sort of shame me right now. But you're speaking to me like that? Wow. I mean, I, I, I love that reality. And it, it takes us, you know, in here, this idea, truth number three is this, you know, that, that if we're going to be the leaders God desires us to be, we have to move from feelings to faith. That if we're going to be the leaders God calls us to be, we're going to have to move from feelings to faith. I want you to take just, just a minute on the middle of your table. I put some faith statements here. They're in God's Word. And I got this from a ministry. It's Exchanged Life Ministries. I don't endorse every belief they have, but I love some of their tools. And about 15 years ago, I came across this list. I've added some to it. But I realized in my heart that I needed something of God's Word, something of God's truth to fight the feelings I had in my heart that kept me from leading, that kept me from stepping up, that kept me from loving my wife, that kept me from wanting to intentionally invest in my son and my daughters. Because once we feel defeated, I don't know about you, but I'm like, okay, I'll find another game that I can win. And so it may be that I just add five to ten hours of work every week where I'm home a little bit less. Because there, I'm like, you know, I can do this. I can do this. I've been trained to do this. I'm good at this. And there is an accomplishment that I feel in doing this. So the enemy discourages me. And so I step away a little bit from the actual area he wants me to lead in. Because I'm living out of my feelings. So what I'd like you to do right now is glance over this sheet at your table. Find one or two factual statements. If you are alone, join another table. And, and I just want you to take five minutes as a, as a group. Just, hey, share one of these that stands out to you as, man, I need to just, I need to remember this and meditate on this and just share that with each other. What is that truth that you need to focus on today, wherever you are in this season of life. Hey, I will encourage you, I was told this, like first year I came to Christ, I was a junior in high school, it was over Christmas break at a ski retreat, we got snowed in, I was there to meet girls, but Jesus was there to meet me, and, and in that window, I learned a truth pretty quickly that, and a guy, Bill Locke is his name, and he says, the most true thing about anyone or anything is not what that person or thing declares about itself. It's what God declares about the person or the, or the thing. And so for me, the most true thing about me is actually found on this sheet. That's the most true thing about me. Regardless of what critics may say or what my own voice or the enemy will throw at me today, these are facts that are indisputable because of the grace and riches and glory of God who came to seek and to save, but not just save, but then adopt us into His family. And we were, you know, just 
if you're not going to, we can be kicked around and let the enemy kick us around and we will never lead because we're living out of our feelings. Or we can in faith embrace what God has already declared, lean into the Lord and into the truths, and I believe he will raise us up as stronger leaders, not in the flesh, but we will be overflowing with gratitude for who he says we are even when we don't live that way. And it changes the way we live. So I just want to challenge you. If use this. Write the verses down. You need to remember. Remember them. Put them on your dashboard. Put them on your mirror. Put them on your laptop. Put them somewhere. Get accountability with a roommate or a spouse to say, hey, so my wife, you know, early in our marriage, you know, she held me accountable because she said, you tear yourself down more than anyone I've ever met. Like if I made a mistake, man, I am on it. I spot it quickly. If other people make a mistake, I'm completely gracious to them. But if it's me, I am just, man, it just frustrates me. So God used my wife to sort of, you know, 20 years ago to point this out in my life. And so if it takes, you know, if it takes just this study this morning to point that out for you, I, I pray that God would do that to begin to help you get on that journey of really living out of who he says you are and not who you feel like you are some days. Um, Moving to verse 13 and 14, Gideon says again to the angel, please, sir, if the Lord is with us. So so the angel of the Lord's already said, I'm with you. I've done all these things in the past. I'm with you. Then Gideon asks the question that most people in Houston probably have asked over the last three weeks, and that's, why has all this happened? Why has it happened economically? Why has it happened in my home? Why is it happening in my marriage? Or why is my kid wayward? Or why is the friendship not the way it was? You know, we were super close, and now five years down the road, you know, they're, they're in one city, I'm in one city. We really don't connect like we used to, but I don't have anyone else to connect with now. God, why am I feeling alone? And Gideon says, and where are all his wonders that our father told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. Truth number four, the wrong view of God can keep us from leading. The wrong view of God can keep us from leading. I don't have the why answers for a lot of stuff in life. I don't. I wish I did. I don't. God and God alone can see the breadth of life and what is going on. And our choice as leaders is honestly to either trust Him without understanding why or sort of to walk away bitter, angry, resentful. I'm a victim of the cosmos and I'm just going to grind it out on my own. I mean, those are the choices, honestly, that we get in life. And whether that's a job thing, a marriage thing, a parenting thing, a health thing, God loves us enough to give us that choice. And how we respond in times like this, and how we respond to the difficult days ahead, will allow us to step up in leadership or to slink away into a vat and hide out and hope somebody someday stands up and does something good because. God knows the world needs a leader. And I'm like, well, maybe 
you know, maybe that's you. When the first rain fell on the 25th, you know, what's one drop of rain? And after 100 fell, my street was wet, but what's 100 drops of rain? But there got to be a point in time that drop after drop after drop, albeit small and insignificant, isolated from one another, began to be a force. It began to change the landscape. In this season, it brought destruction. But if had there been a, a famine in the land, we would have been dancing in the streets and rejoicing that at last, at last, rain has come. But I feel like leadership in the kingdom of God is like that. It's not one magnanimous leader. We only have one, the Lord God Almighty. But we're drops of rain. And He's wanting each of us to fall and bring all we have, every gift, every strength, every stewardship to bear wherever we are. Knowing that, man, Eric Reed can't make one bit of difference. I'm just a raindrop coming down. But when that links up with Steve, and that links up with David, and that links up with Luis, and all of a sudden four raindrops coming down, and then that links up with you guys, and all of a sudden we have thousands of men that are standing for the Lord that are saying, hey, we're believing not our feelings, we're believing in faith what God has declared about us, that we have a voice, and we have a purpose, and we have a mission, and we will not withhold simply because we don't understand why things are the way they are. But in faith, we will stand and we'll go to the top of the hill and we'll thresh the wheat in public. And it's okay if people oppress us at that time because we know there are more men like us and those men are coming as well. And I think of us and I think of that and I think of our city right now and I'm in, man, Lord, we're, you, you put leadership on our heart long before this all happened but if ever there's been a need in homes and commerce in our city for godly leaders to step up, it is today. And some of you are that man right now. You've got the title, you have the character, and you are stepped up. I know it. And some of you, you've actually got the character. You might not have the title, but trust me when I tell you, you don't need the permission to step up. You can lead without a title because leadership is influence. Leadership is obedience. Leadership is humility. And we're going to hear from a lot of men this semester over what leadership is and what are the practices of that. But I just want you to hear it here is you have permission. In fact, you have a calling from the Lord to lead. And if you don't, you're squandering why God made you a man today. And so I want to give you the last truth, and then we'll have a couple of questions. Truth five, when God sent Gideon, God's sending is his empowerment. God's sending is his empowerment. If he calls you, if he sends you, you don't have to wait for the empowerment. When Jesus was at a wedding feast and they had run out of wine, he goes to the wine steward, and what does he say? go and get a ladle of the water that's out of the purification and bring it up to the taste master. Dude, that dude, he had to think this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. I just took a ladle of water. It's water right here. It's water right now. I'm walking. It's still water or else he would have said, oh my gosh, it's wine. Check it out. It's wine. 
But he didn't. He didn't say anything. And then he gives it to the taste master. He's just being obedient. That's all he's being. He's being obedient. But somewhere between handing it to the taste master and hitting the palate, God did what only God can do, and that is he empowered it. That God's sending is God's empowerment. So boldly step out where God has called you. And lastly, truth six, God calls us to lead not for our glory, but for his. Not for our glory, but for his. When we read the Bible, it's easy. I remember as a kid reading the story of David and Goliath. And who's the hero, man? <laughs> David, dude, he's the hero, you know? And, and if you get the PG-13 version, not the version I got to read when I was a kid, but the one I read my son, you know, he takes Goliath's sword and he cuts his head off. And that becomes part of like the offering from the battle. I sort of overlooked that. When I think of Moses... And I think about the Red Sea and the army bearing down. I mean, who's the hero? <laughs> Moses, right? You know, he stands up, he holds up the rod and parts and they go across it. But that's sort of missing the point of the scriptures. That's missing the hero. The hero is never the leader that's being obedient to God. The hero is God. If you read scripture and you think a man is the hero... You've missed the point of the scriptures that our God is a roaring lion, a consuming fire. He is, according to Martin Luther, a mighty fortress. According to David, he is a strong tower. He is the rock. He is the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. And it doesn't matter how obedient I am, it is not for my glory. It's for his and so those six truths, I think, as we kick off, will frame this semester. That my prayer right now is, God, where are you in the midst of this? And he's saying, hey, I'm calling you guys up. This is the opportunity for you. And so my prayer is that you will stand up this semester, and if you're not already, that you will, that around the table that you all will encourage and pray that one another will stand up and lead out. Next week, uh, a man who lost his home recently, David Self, our sort of executive pastor here, um, he, is, he was slated for today, uh, but with everything going on in his life, he said, hey man, can I, can I punt today? I'd love to do it next week. And I was like, you know, when your boss tells you that, you're like, sure. But, uh, <laughs> but there's... Of all the people I know, David is one of the most humble, effective leaders I know. Highly obedient to God, and he's behind the scenes 99.9% .9 of the time at our church. And I know I'm grateful for him, and I think you're going to hear from him. I don't know what he's going to share, um, but it's going to be awesome. I hope you come back. Um, let me pray over y'all. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the garden room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day.